God, thank you that even when I'm late or uh, frantic or uh, distracted of mind, that you are already present, fully present, waiting, uh, welcoming, uh, attuned to your people, and attuned in love, always watching, always listening, always caring. We thank you that we have your attention help us to have our attention on you. As we open your word together, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are fertile and receptive soil to receive what you would plant in us. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly and forever forgotten. Amen. So this summer, we're kind of getting near the end of the summer. Kids are back in school. Uh, We've been doing a series called Summer of Love. We're kind of moving on from that. But way back in the first Sunday of June, we started with the idea and the reality that God is love. According to the scriptures, God may be a lot of other things, and God is, but quintessentially, God is love. At God's core and God's nature, God's character, God's attributes, the chief of those is love. And not only is God is not only is God love, but God also loves uh, out of the sort of the very nature of His character and being. And God loves you. God loves me. That's what we talked about in week two. God loves us. And then we saw in the scriptures that uh, loved people, people loved by God, love others as the love of God uh, comes upon a person as they experience it, know it, embrace it. Uh, God makes those people us hopefully into more love-infused, love-living, loving people. And the scriptures talk about loving God. Jomo unpacked for us what that looks like. And then we talked about uh, loving others, loving people, who those people are, ways that we love. And we spent a number of weeks on that sort of whole world. What does it look like? What does it mean to love other people? And who are those people? How do we do that? I'm grateful for uh, the varieties of voices that we've heard during that time. This morning, uh, we continue along that journey uh, and to our inevitable arrival at one of Jesus' most unique and maybe most difficult teachings, and that is love your enemies. Love your enemies. Of course, we came across this statement, uh, Jesus teaching about loving one's enemies in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, back when we were going through that not too long ago. The first half of that Sermon on the Mount is a collection of Jesus' teaching filled with what scholars call uh, the antitheses, Jesus' antitheses. You have heard that it was said, dot, 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 but I say to you. You have heard it was said, but I say to you. And the last of those really is the pinnacle and the hardest one among them where Jesus says, you have heard it said, dot, 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 and we're going to finish that today, but I say, dot, dot, dot. Uh, All of the antitheses that uh, Jesus spoke at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount can mostly be found in other parts of the Old Testament, the scriptures, Jewish traditions and practices. But this one among uh, all of the things Jesus said is completely unique to Jesus, not only among the Jewish scriptures, but among all religions and faiths and philosophies that have ever been. No one before Jesus said this. So we're going to pick it up in uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. More specifically, I'm going to narrow it down for time's sake to verses 43 through 48 this morning, where Jesus speaks the following words. Listen closely. This is the word of God. 
You have heard that it was said, love your enemy and hate, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans, people without God in their lives, do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And every Jewish person who heard Jesus speak these words would hear in Jesus' words in verse 43 an echo of the Old Testament book of Leviticus and specifically chapter 19, verse 18, which reads, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But that's not exactly what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount because that's not exactly what the rabbis of his day and age were teaching. Leviticus 19, 18 said, love your neighbor as yourself. But the rabbis of Jesus' day had been teaching, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Thus, one, removing the minimal standard of what love looks like, in other words, loving oneself, caring oneself, being concerned with oneself. Two, narrowing the definition of who one's neighbor is. And three, adding the phrase about hating one's enemies. And while we moderns might wonder why the rabbis would add hate one's enemy to the command in Leviticus, uh, consider these things. One, they were a persecuted people. They were a persecuted people and had been for centuries and most of their history oppressed by the people around them, the nations around them, who at many times simply wanted to eliminate them. And so love your neighbor but hate your enemy. And two, to hate one's enemy is really just the natural, equal, and opposite reaction to loving one's neighbors. If a person loves or likes the San Francisco Giants, then he or she will inevitably, logically dislike or not love the Los Angeles Dodgers, right. And to do so is both common and in some ways very natural. We love our neighbors, in other words, our own family members, people in our tribe, people just like us, our home team, and we do not love those who oppose us, those who are different, those who are others, the opposing team. After all, they are against us. They are not for us. They are our enemies. Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Sure. It kind of makes sense. But this is the place at which the teaching of Jesus deviated more than any other then and now from the common thinking of the day and even from what might be considered common sense. Almost all of the things Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, again, could be found in other places, among other wisdom literature, in the Jewish tradition or other traditions, but not this. Not this command, not this directive, not this requirement. Love your enemies. But who does that? No one. Except, apparently, God. And so Jesus says, if you want to understand God, listeners, if you want to live in close proximity to God, if you want to become like God, you have to think like God, you have to see like God, you have to act like God as much as humanly able. Love your enemies that you may become children of your Father in heaven. Children resemble their parents, visually, physically, but not only in appearance, but also in character and in action. They do. Love your enemies so that you may become like 
may be children of your Father in heaven. Because that apparently is how God is and who God is and what God does. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Which can be seen in nature, Jesus said, though many of us have believed or assumed that at God's core, God is fair and God is just. And that God treats people as they deserve. We've assumed that God's world operates on a quid pro quo basis in which a person gets what they deserve or they get what they earn. And so what, this, what is this seemingly new teaching from Jesus? So different. Jesus describes God, in other words, his father, his daddy, his Abba, as seemingly indiscriminate in his goodness. The sun rises upon and blesses both evil people and good people. I was uh, behind a, a car on the freeway. Maybe, you know, maybe this is your car. Um, <laughs> black car, the license plate said evil. I mean, it was, you know, one, a vanity plate, custom plate. It just said evil. And I'm like, I think evil S3. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe it's your neighbor. I don't know. Um, why? And yet, someone paid for that license plate. Jesus described his father as indiscriminately good. The sun rises upon and blesses both the evil people and the good people alike. When God sends refreshing, restorative, life-giving rain, it goes to the righteous people, and it also goes to the unrighteous people in the same measure. And while Jesus is simply observing nature or creation, he says very specifically, this, this is what God is like. And if a person really wants to know God and grow closer to God and participate in God's kingdom, then this is how it goes. This is what you do. Do you believe Jesus? For decades, we've lived in this sort of Christian culture that asks, do you believe in Jesus? Are you with me? But the more important question today and here and now may be simply, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that what Jesus said was true? Do you believe that he spoke with divine and eternal authority and that what he said was accurate? Do you believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about and that his words were and are reliable for daily living and the choices we make and for the shaping of our character and our very lives? Do you believe Jesus when he says that when we love our enemies, we become like his father, God, and that God's character is formed in us when we love our enemies? And some will still reply, I believe in Jesus, But the question isn't, do we believe in Jesus? The question is, do we believe Jesus? If a person actually believes Jesus, for example, or especially with regard to what he says about how love is formed in a person, how God is formed in a person, what God does, who and how God is, and how we're called to be, then that person will enter into a way or a kingdom that has the potential to change that person's life from the inside out. And to change that person's life radically and forever in this life and the life to come. Jesus came to start a revolution. He really was a revolutionary. It wasn't just sort of the uh, Jesus revolution, 1960s, 70s sort of whole deal. Jesus still intends to bring about a revolution in the church, in the world, in our hearts, outwardly and inwardly. And this is a part of it. 
We tend to want the domesticated Jesus who will not disrupt the status quo of our world or our church. Please don't change that. Please don't change me in those areas. Please don't call me to that right now. Thank you very much. We want the domesticated Jesus. Russell Moore, I don't know if you saw uh, what he said this week, but he talked about when the message of Jesus becomes subversive to the church, we're really off base. We've really lost our bearings, our orientation. We tend to limit our love for other people or to focus our love for other people on those people we already love. The people who are already our friends or people like us, people who are nice to us or people with whom we agree. Or people who we know will reciprocate our love, our kindness, our courtesy, to which Jesus says, quite bluntly, if you love those who love you, what reward is there in that? I'm, I mean, I'm okay at loving the people who love me. They're the easiest people to love. What reward is that? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? People who have no knowledge of God? God's not in their life. Jesus' bar is higher, and Jesus' bar, if you will, is better, both for our enemies and for us. And so a person can't say that they want to be a Christian or that they want to be in Christ or that they want to follow Jesus and at the same time willfully or continually loathe her enemies, despise her enemies, abhor her enemies, condemn her enemies, call down fire on her enemies. It doesn't work that way. It never has and it never will. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr. to the congregation at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in 1957, and remember the context, remember the context, a persecuted, oppressed, historically and current people. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Of course, hating one's enemies comes naturally to people. No one has to tell a person or teach a person to hate or despise or disdain or resent or at least dislike their enemies. We humans do, do that seemingly by nature, or at least I do. I mean, it's sort of default setting, unfortunately. But then Jesus enters the world and introduces a whole new way that is consistent with the character and the will of the one true God who holds everything in his hands and who is, as we say at our starting point, love. And while this sounds wonderful, it may be for some, it may for some have also gone over like the proverbial lead balloon. Last week we talked about the rich young ruler. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life or experience eternal life, have eternal life, inherit eternal life? What must I do? Jesus went through a couple things with him. He said, I got that done, 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 check, check, check. What else? Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then you will have eternal life. And the man, as we said last week, must have said, no, no, not that. And you have to wonder if Jesus' disciples there on the hillside and everyone else who could hear him, when Jesus says, love your enemy, kind of go, what? What are you talking about? Do you know our people, our context, our lives, our history? It sounds good, but you're crazy. They had enemies. Jesus assumed they had enemies. 
We may tend to think that we don't have enemies. I tend to think that sometimes. But Jesus assumed that all people have enemies of some sort. That's his assumption. People in one's life or one's orbit or one's community who were evil, license plate or not, people who wanted to do one harm, people who would not hesitate to step on or over one to get ahead, thieves, robbers. There's a plethora and abundance of scammers in our world today. Scam artists. In the first century, this was, for most Palestinian Jews, certainly, maybe first and foremost, the occupying Roman government and soldiers everywhere, foreign soldiers. It was also foreigners of all sorts who had the effect of diluting their set-apart culture through marriage or the sort of infusion of foreign traditions and practices and gods. It was different religious sects within Judaism that judged or sometimes oppressed other Jews. For some, it was the traitorous tax collectors. For others, it was the varieties of unclean people who by their very existence and proximity threatened to infect the good Jewish people's daily righteousness or the average or of the average Jewish man and woman who are these people among your or our enemies today may be oppressive bosses recalcitrant employees sexist co-workers annoying loud messy or infringing neighbors Dangerous or careless drivers, really bad parkers. <laughs> I literally last week went, what were you thinking when you boxed me in? You People who abuse the system, people who lie, cheat, and steal, religious door knockers, deceptive and untruthful salespeople, people who dwell at different places on an ideological or political spectrum, from me or their disciples, followers, abusive family members from your past, from your childhood, from your present, racists, thugs, cultural disruptors, immoral people, polluters, dictators, liberals, conservatives, terrorists, people who have assaulted, insulted you, demeaned you, ignored you, offended me, in some ways, our world, our culture, our nation specifically, has become more divided than ever. We live in what Arthur Brooks describes as a culture of contempt exacerbated over the last five, seven, eight years. A culture of contempt toward one another. We're going to run through some slides. And some of these people may, some of them may, some of them may not. The fact that I put some of them on the screen may arise in you a visceral reaction toward them or toward me. Watch, listen for a moment. Mm. 
Do any of you have elevated blood pressure right now? Like anyone? A couple of people raise their hands? Or have sort of the beginnings of emotional thoughts or judgment or resentment? Or feel that these people might qualify in some way or one of them or one of their followers for you as an enemy? Remember that Jesus assumed that his followers, the people in his audience, had enemies. And Jesus said very specifically to love those people, those people. And you remember the biblical idea of love is not about feelings or feeling love for other people. If it was, most of us would never love anyone else or never love a lot of people. It's not a feeling. It doesn't begin with a feeling, though feelings may follow eventually. But it is an act of the will. Love is action. Remember Thomas Aquinas' little definition of love as it appears in the scriptures. Love is the choice to will the good of others. And it's not always what I think is good for them. And it's not always what they think is good for them. But the assumption is it's inherently truly good and probably for both. In the Christian catacombs of Rome, the following story was retold. A rich man named Proculus had hundreds of slaves. The, slaves, the slave named Dionys was so trustworthy that Proculus made him the steward over his whole household. One day, Proculus took Dionys with him to the slave market to buy some new workers. Before the bargaining began, they examined the men to see if they were strong and healthy. Among the slaves stood a weak old man. Dionys urged his owner to buy this slave. Proculus answered, but he doesn't look like he's good for anything. Go ahead and buy him, Dionys insisted. He's cheap, and I promise that the work in your household will get done even better than before. So Proculus agreed and purchased the elder slave, and Dionys made good on his word. The work went better than ever in the household. But Proculus observed that Dionys now worked for two men. The old slave did almost no work at all, while Dionys tended to him, gave him the best food, and made him rest, forced him to rest. Proculus was curious, so he confronted Dionys. Who is this slave? You know I value you. I don't mind you protecting this old man, but tell me, who is he? Is he your father who has fallen into slavery? Dionys answered, It is someone to whom I owe more than my father. Is he your teacher then? No, somebody to whom I owe even more than that. Who then? Proculus asks. Well, this is my enemy. Your enemy? Yes, he is the man who killed my father and sold us, his children, me and my siblings, into slavery. Proculus stood speechless. As for me, said Dionysus, I'm a disciple, a follower, a student of Jesus who has taught us to love our enemies and to reward evil with good. I can't even relate. So far out there and beautiful is that story. Many people have noted that the best way to eliminate one's enemies is to turn them into friends, to begin to treat them like friends. But yes, admittedly, this can be almost unbearable. 
and seemingly impossible. And so this is where God promises to help through his spirit, promises to give us grace for the journey and for that to which he calls us, invites us, to do with his help what we could not and cannot and don't even want to do on our own. In the words of John Calvin, assurely, we're still a Presbyterian church, so I can quote John Calvin periodically. Assuredly, there is but one way in which to achieve what is not merely difficult, but utterly against human nature, to love those who hate us, to repay their evil deeds with benefits, to return blessings for reproaches. It is that we remember not to consider men's evil intention, but to look upon the image of God in them which cancels and effaces their transgressions and with its beauty and dignity allures us to love and embrace them. In a word, grace. Remember that Jesus, hanging on a cross, looks at his executioners and says what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Have there been more loving words towards one's enemies ever? And so it shouldn't surprise us that the passage which we start everyone from uh, in, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples to pray for their enemies. Jesus offers at this point one means, only one means of application and what it looks like to love one's enemies. One practical way to do that, pray for them. It's impossible to truly pray for someone for very long and continue to hate that person at the same time. It just doesn't work. And that means praying for the other person good, praying for the other person's well-being. Not as the psalmist occasionally pray, Psalm 3, Psalm 58, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break their teeth. That is not the kind of prayer Jesus intended. That's just the human prayer that sometimes we may want to pray for our enemies. Is it true, Sharon? Instead, uh, what are the things that we can and should pray for our enemies? What kinds of things? What do our prayers for the enemies look like for our enemies? And this is not a rhetorical question. This is uh, feedback, jump in, application, share, speak time. What is God calling us to pray? How is God calling us to pray for our enemies? For healing, for changed hearts, for blessing. Just sort of like indiscriminate blessing. Kind of leave that one a little open-ended. Reconciliation. What else? Peace. I, God, give to my enemies peace. Hmm. What else? Forgiveness. Forgive them, help them to forgive. What else? May your Holy Spirit be present in their life. Discernment. Truth. What else? Love. May love abound in that person's life, in their heart, in their family, in their household. What else? Conversion. What else? Any others? Prosperity. May as well. Why not? Wow, how hard would that be in some cases? Do it. And in just a moment, we're going to try that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of a 30-day prayer journey but, uh, or adventure, and maybe you've done that before. 
But I'm going to ask you to consider that today as I'm going to ask you to think of a specific, and maybe you already have, hopefully you already have, hopefully you're ahead of me in this. Who is a person or the people in your life to whom God is calling you to love and whom you can love beginning through prayer? So what I ask you to do is uh, to consider that and then those ways of praying, but take the little white card there in front of you this morning in the pew rack, exercise, pause for a moment, maybe tear it in two, and on uh, each card, write the name of a person, the initials of a person, a very specific person, but not to disclose it to anyone else, or a group of people, or a type of person, or a category of people, write something on each one of those cards. I'm going to take a pause and just, everyone, hold up your piece of paper. Everybody got one? Tear it in two. Write the same thing on both pieces of paper. Who is God putting it on your heart to love who, someone who may fall into the category broadly of enemy today? Go ahead. Take a few, few moments. This person may be, uh, it may be your spouse, it may be someone you work with, it may be someone in your neighborhood, it may be someone on TV, it may be uh, someone from your past, maybe someone who's hurt you, maybe someone who wants to hurt you, maybe a relationship that's, uh, that's burning a hole in your heart. And when you're done with that, as a sort of a offering to God, because God likes our money, but I think God wants our hearts and our intentions and our wills much more. Uh, I invite you to come forward uh, and drop one of those pieces of paper in the, uh, in the basket up here as a way to present our offerings to the Lord to follow him. Let's do that now. Now we're actually going to pray, and uh, I'm just going to open a, a time of sort of open prayer, and if you want to speak one of those things that we talked about, ways to pray, no need to name a specific person, but pray for them out loud, and together we will uh, join you in praying for our enemies. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your word, which is truth and which is grace, given to us in and through Jesus and the scriptures. Uh, Draw us into yourself, your reality, your kingdom. Help us to uh, gladly, joyfully, and eagerly go in the way of Jesus. Hear our prayers for people who are enemies, are like enemies in our lives. Hear our prayers. We pray, God, for abundance for our enemies. We pray for blessing in their lives. We pray and ask that you give to them prosperity in many forms, that we would bring joy and delight and peace and mercy into their lives, that you would reveal yourselves to them, that you would uh, empower us to be reconciled with those people in as much as we have a part in that, that you would be glorified in those relationships, that you would put an end to resentment and bitterness and hurt and anger for all of the people who are named directly and indirectly in this basket, we pray that your kingdom would come 
in their lives, in their homes, in their relationships, in their hearts. Pour out blessing upon blessing. Everything that we've prayed for ourselves over the course of our lives, give to them. In the name and in the power and in the grace of Jesus. Amen. May it be so. Let's stand.